Oh, my God. 
five minutes after 6 a.m. Good morning, everybody. My name is Nahum Siegel. Welcome to a Friday, Erev Shabbos. This is your Jewish Moments in the Morning radio program.
J.M. in the A.M., a.k.a. Pello with Pia Pascha. Great Shabbos selection here in our Sphera format at J.M. in the A.M. David Kalish with Avinu. You heard Ve'et hair done by Mendy Werdiger. The Friedman family with Kol Mikadesh. Shalom Aleichem from Shabbos Dig Otsros. And, of course, Regesh Modani opening things up. And we say good morning. Welcome to a Friday on this 28th of April, day 7 in the month of E.R. The year is 5783, Tavshin Pei Gimel. We're live in New York City on this day 22 in the counting of the Omer. Today is day number 22 in the counting of the Omer. Forgot to count last night. Make sure to do so sometime today. It's Erev Shabbos, Parshas Achremos and Kedoshim. That's right, another double Parsha with candle lighting time in New York. 728, 728 candle lighting in New York. Make sure you know when things start where you are. We will bench Bahab this coming Shabbos. If you're not familiar with that, consult with your local rabbi. And a week from today will be Pesach Sheni, believe it or not. Uh, but we'll talk about that next week. Again, candle lighting time, 728 in New York. Make sure you know when things start where you are as we get set for Achremos and Kedoshim on an Erev Shabbos at JM in the AM. You know the drill. It's going to be uh, uh, both Harry Rothenberg and Rabbi Yudin with words about this week's Parshios. It's going to be Malcolm Honline with the weekly update and plenty more between now and 9 o'clock if you keep it right here at JM in the AM and the Nahum Siegel Network.
Listen to that sound. Morning comes, I roll out to steeple. Keep myself strong, not old and feeble. Herring, chunk, grab a shelf and a learn. Shabbos ebbs and for another I yearn. Yom Hashbi, it's all day of rest. Had a tough week, just decompress. We don't realize how we are blessed. So now spread the love and invite some guests. Everywhere, everywhere, everywhere. 
They make us all proud, raise their families with tender love and care. Love and care. It's all because of you that the house is blessed. Like Rachel Ray, you could go in 30 minutes or less. It's a fact around the world from Flappers to France. We may be the men, but you be wearing the pants. <laughs> Yeah, 
ונפגם מרכבת חולפת. בשל האירוע חלים עיכובים ושינויים בתנועת הרכבות באזור הצפון. ידיעה שריכזו כתבינו קובי מנדל וגל ג'רסי. בפעם הראשונה היום אסטרונאוט ערבי יהלך בחלל. הדוקטור סולטן אניאדי מאיחוד האמירויות יצא מרכב החלל ספייס 6 ויבצע במשך 6 שעות וחצי עבודות תחזוקה בדופן החיצוני שלו. איתו יהיה אסטרונאוט נוסף, והשניים יבצעו את המשימה בעוד כמה שעות בשליחות נאס"א. ניאדי הוא האסטרונאוט הערבי השני בחלל, קדם לו הזעל מנסורי אף הוא מאיחוד האמירויות, שנמנה עם צוות חללית רוסית לפני ארבע שנים. ידיעה שמסר כתבנו לענייני ערבים, ג'קי חוגי. מזג האוויר ירידה ניכרת בטמפרטורות, ייתכן גשם מקומי קל בצפון ובמרכז, הגשם צפוי להתחזק הלילה, בדרום ייתכן אובך. אלה החדשות.
J.M. in the A.M. Friday morning, Erev Shabbos here at the Nahum Siegel Network. We'll get back to that selection coming up. Don't worry. Uh, you heard the uh, L'Chadodi. Before that, the... Um, the Hang on a second. Got to get to the playlist for a moment. <laughs> Before that, Ellie Gerstner with the Anna Hashem selection here. At JM in the AM. Friday morning, Erev Shabbos. Thanks for joining us, everybody. It is Erev Shabbos, Achremos, and Kedoshim. A double Parsha. Candle lighting in New York, 728. Make sure you know when things start where you are. Again, candle lighting in New York, 728. Uh, we'll bench Bahab tomorrow. If you're not familiar with that, consult with your local rabbi. And today is day number 22 in the counting of the Omer. Today is day number 22 
in the counting of the Omer. If you got the count last night, make sure to do so sometime today. Again, today is day number 22 in the counting of the Omer. Our um, Dvar Torah from Harry Rothenberg is presented with uh, Ruchama Chana Etel Baschava in mind. We continue to pray for her full, speedy recovery. Ruchama Chana Etel Baschava. Here is Harry Rothenberg with Parshas Achremos and Kedoshim on the Nachum Siegel Network. It seems strange to me every year when we get to this week's Parsha because it begins and suddenly it's Yom Kippur. We get all the intricate details of the Yom Kippur service. But it seems a little early in the year to be getting into the Yom Kippur spirit. It's only May. Are we thinking about Yom Kippur now? So are we just randomly reading it now? Or is there a reason? To answer that question, I want to ask you a trivia question. Here we go. Can you give me the full list of all of the people who were allowed to enter the Kodesh HaKadoshim, the inner sanctuary in the Mishkan and in the temple, and when they were allowed to enter? You may immediately blurt out, please, that's easy. It's a really short list. Only the Kohen Gadol, the high priest, and only on Yom Kippur. And guess what? You're right. But that's only one of three answers. And if you got the other two, two gold stars. Pat yourself on the back. Here's a second answer. The Mishnah tells us that there were times when the inner sanctuary needed to be repaired. And so they would send the craftsmen in to make the repairs. They had to do it in some elaborate fashion. They'd have to lower them in through a hole in the roof, put them in a three-walled box so that they'd only be able to see the area directly in front of them they were working on so that they wouldn't benefit from gazing at the beauty of the decorations of that room. And then there's one more answer. The Medrash describes a conversation that occurred when God taught Moshe the law in this week's Parsha that only the high priest could enter and only on Yom Kippur. Moshe exclaimed to God, does this mean that Aharon, my brother, the Kohen Gadol, He's been rejected, and God said, no, it's not what you think. Aharon can enter whenever he wants. So Aharon, and only Aharon, not any high priest after him, was able to enter the Kodesh HaKadoshim anytime he wanted. He would still have to perform the Yom Kippur service in order to enter, but if he felt like he was on that level, he was allowed to, on a random Thursday in May. And that's a lesson for us. There are times when we can get to that level. Think about it, there are two examples. A groom, a chassan, on his wedding day, prays the Yom Kippur prayer in his Amidah. And a person on their deathbed says vidoy, that heartfelt, heart-rending confession of their shortcomings. They admit that they fell short and they feel bad about that. And that's something that we can do as well. We can get to that level. We can think about Yom Kippur, even in May. If we've done something wrong, it's not too early in the year to do a cheshbon and nefesh, to take an accounting of our soul. Where are we holding spiritually? How are we doing so far this year? And how can we improve? And if you've wronged someone, why wait until that frenzied run up to the high holidays? Do you forgive me? Do you forgive me? Why not pick up the phone now and apologize? Who knows what can happen between now and Yom Kippur? There's no reason not to get to work now, especially during this time period in between Passover and Shavuos when we're counting the sphera every single day working on ourselves and we're supposed to be gaining a level each day. What a perfect time to have Yom Kippur on the brain and start to get ready. J.M. and the A.M. Our thanks to uh, Harry Rothenberg. Beautiful thought on this era of Shabbos. Achremos Kedoshim, double Parsha tomorrow. Candle lighting 728 in New York. Make sure you know when things start 
where you are. Today is day number 22 in the counting of the Omer. Uh, we are brought to you by our friends at A&H. Enjoy a 10% discount with promo code radio at kosherdogs.net, where you'll find all the delicious and, Ameri- and amazing A&H products. Again, try A&H today. You'll be glad you did. Kosherdogs.net has the entire collection of delicious uh, meat items from our friends at A&H. Go and enjoy. Make sure to use promo code radio on that site. Well, listener Tikva has used our app to remind everybody about the family in Israel that was in this terrible, terrible car accident on Yom Ha'atzma'ut. Um, a family from Tekoa um, whose 10-month-old baby was killed in this car accident. Um, so here are the names, and, and this is, I'll say the names on the air, but obviously if you just go to the NSN app, you could actually see the names in front of you and incorporate them into your uh, tefillah, into your davening for the next day or two. Elia Yinon Shraga Ben Bia Yardena Ayala, Mali Batnachama, Ori Amidan Ben Ayala, Mali Neta Ben Ayala Mali. Oh, you know, it's hard for me to 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 ascertain what where the names start and finish. So if you go to if you go to um, if you go to our app, you'll see the entire you'll see the entire um, list there. If you go to our app, NSN app, you'll see the entire list uh, there in front of you. Uh, Trucker Yitz says he got his matzah for Pesach Shani already, but he's got a fast on Monday, Thursday, and Monday. <laughs> well, he's taking Bahab very seriously, to say the least, and call like a vote to him for that. More coming up. It's a JMNAM Friday, Malcolm Holmline, weekly update scheduled for 20 minutes from now, and plenty more on a Friday morning broadcast here at JM in the AM.
Father. 
JM in the AM with Bitachon and Aisha Schail here on a Friday morning era of Shabbos. Uh, Malcolm Holmline coming up. We'll do our weekly update. Uh, we'll have that for you later on this hour. Candle lighting at 728 in New York. Make sure you know when things start where you are. We're live in our New York City studio today. Day 22 in the counting of the Omer. Day number 22. If you forgot to count last night, make sure to do so sometime today. Next week's FIRA format continues. The... Um, 9th of May is Lagba Omer, and that's when our format gets back to uh, normal, so to speak, or regular format here at JM in the AM. Weekly update and more all coming up. Keep it right here at JM in the AM. Oh, 
אשר ציבי שונאי לשרתך, וכי נגיד, וכי נגיד, גדולוסו איידרינו. שיבי שיא השם לקרוסי, שתרחמני עוד בגולוסי, בגולוסי לגולני. לא ירא לי בלעב עושהו, ושיבי שיא השם לקרוסי, שתרחמני עוד בגולוסי, בגולוסי לגולני. Yeah. 
J.M. in the A.M. Friday morning hour of Shabbos. It's uh, Avram Fried and Company, the Friedman family, with Curry Bone here at J.M. in the A.M. Shabbos medley done by Mayor Ben Dror before that in our Sphere of Format at J.M. in the A.M. Friday morning hour of Shabbos with a, a double Parsha this week. It's Shabbos, Achrimos, and Kedoshim, candlelighting time in New York, 728. Make sure you know when things start where you are. Again, 728. Candle lighting in uh, New York. Keep that in mind. Today is day number 22 in the counting of the Omer. Day number 22. If you forgot to count last night, make sure to do so sometime today. Um, our friends at JewishWorldReview.com have thousands of articles online for you to read and or print out before Shabbos to uh, really get up to date on so many things that are happening in this amazing world of ours. Go to JewishWorldReview.com. Take advantage of their incredible service and enjoy. Malcolm Honline is vice chairman of the Conference of Presidents of Major American Jewish Organizations. He's with us Fridays for the weekly update here at JM in the AM. Mr. Honline, welcome back to JM in the AM. Thank you. It's always good to be with you. Appreciate that. Happy 75th to the state of Israel. What were your thoughts uh, that uh, during this week when Israel turned 75 years old, uh, years ago, as I've mentioned many, many times this week, years ago, if you would have told those uh, in our community worldwide in the early 1940s that by the time you get to 2023, we'd have a thriving and incredible, I'm not going to say superpower, but certainly powerful state of Israel that would be 75 years old, they would have found that very hard to believe. Very hard to believe the accomplishments, the achievements, because the focus is always on the negative. When you think that there are 9.3 million people in Israel and 75% uh, or over 70% Jewish, that Israel has emerged as a high-tech center, as a military model, as a, has water independence, energy independence, has more trees today than they had 50 years ago, the only country in the world the fourth happiest country in the world, at least before the demonstrations. And um, you think of the, the focus is always on the negatives and on the, the terrorists. And we, we dare not lose sight of all the brachot and all the blessings that Israel has had and, and the amazing achievements. Um, because if you, if, you don't, if you only focus on the negatives, and you don't appreciate the miracles that don't happen. Someone said to me, uh, actually it was pointed out by more than one person, uh, that they felt over the last few years there has been a, uh, uh, a much more positive attitude from all areas of our community when it comes to Israel. There are those who are cynical. There are those who looked at Zionism a certain way, certainly looked at the development of the state a certain way. And it seems that this concept that we've been talking about for the last 40 years of do whatever you want on the 5th of ER, but at least recognize the miracle of the day, it looks like more and more of that is happening. I think it, there are a couple of factors here. One is that there are two trends, one of alienation 
amongst young people, much of it based on ignorance, uh, and the statistics all show it, uh, but it's also distancing from the Jewish community and a, and a general overall um, uh, sense of uh, lack of knowledge, lack of information, lack of education. When you see the latest studies on the Hebrew schools, the afternoon Hebrew schools have diminished so greatly. So in the communities where people are involved, the, it is a greater sense of attachment because travel is much easier. There's a lot of business exchanges going on. There are everybody's, uh, all the children who go to study and learn in Israel, uh, the young people who, who go, uh, all of these are building closer connections and, and ties between with Israel and outside. Yeah. But also you, you do have, uh, you know, the concerns and, and the more willingness of people to be openly critical of Israel, which is so dangerous. It doesn't mean that you have to agree with everything or, or not comment, but you have to think about what damage the words do that, that um, uh, when people express it. And I think the other factor is that the increase in anti-Semitism and anti-Zionism, anti-Israelism all being tied together and something we've always discussed that, you know, people who think they mean just Israel don't understand that Israel is the collective Jew, yep. that Israel, it's, it's, it's okay to say I hate Israel, even if you can't say I hate Jews publicly, although increasingly you can. And I think that the rise of anti-Semitism has made many people appreciate much more the significance of Israel and not just as a refuge, but as a, as a, uh, an option that, that uh, Jews have today that previous generations didn't. And I think that as Jews um, over the last few years of all different backgrounds had begun to, uh, those who weren't uh, beforehand, had begun to warm up to the Israeli soldiers and appreciate their role, what you just said in terms of uh, uh, people understanding uh, how they, meaning the soldiers, are protecting all of us, no matter where we are, uh, in the world, their presence makes such a difference, especially with all the anti-Semitism out there. I think that's a major factor as well. And speaking of which, uh, before we got to Yom Atzimut, before we got to the 75th birthday of the State of Israel, of course, Israel Memorial Day was observed. It seems that the fears uh, that were being discussed last week about how uh, that day could be politicized and mishandled by government officials in Israel actually went off pretty easily without a hitch, so to speak. How do you explain that everybody was able to set all of that aside and observe Israel Memorial Day properly? I think the victims of terror uh, families were the ones who really dictated the depolitization of the events. In fact, insisting that political leaders not attend, and they did not attend any of the memorial services. And where they did, there were contentious situations. But um, very contained, I would say. And I think because people rise above it for those 24, 48 hours, both in terms of the celebrations and you, you saw the um, uh, way that uh, people were greeted in different communities with even demonstrators on both sides were greeted by people with uh, refreshments, with water, haredim and non-haredim and the, the ability to see a little bit beyond the moment uh, was in evidence, but I think that the the families themselves are the ones who who really set the tone uh, for it. And I think people also need a break. They're, they're so it's so heavy in all the 15 weeks of demonstrations and the, the sense of divisiveness and and which I think is is exaggerated. There are differences of opinion. 
There are uh, political differences that run deep. But I think when it comes to the bottom line, the people are there, they unify in the face of some of the challenges that we have, and they all want to see Israel succeed. Yesterday's very um, large pro-judicial reform demonstration, would you just put that in the same category as the others, just another demonstration, or was yesterday uh, different than what we had seen prior to that? No, I think it was the other side finding its voice, and um, I think it's a mistake uh, when you start announcing Million March and you only have half a million or a quarter of a million, then it's, it's seen as uh, not living up to the expectation when, in fact, it was a very large turnout. Um, they say 200,000 on 50, could be 250, um, which is a remarkable demonstration in Jerusalem uh, as opposed to the others who were in the Tel Aviv area, although they've spread around the country. Uh, so, yeah, I think it, it fits into the general trend of what we've seen. Malcolm, one of the columnists wrote that uh, that um, so many people in Israel would just love to avoid this issue completely. I mean, they would love to see it not get back into the discussion of the Knesset, which, you know, I, I understand that, uh, especially if you do believe that it's going to lead only to more divisiveness and, and another very challenging period of time. It's interesting that there are certain things that Israeli government officials have been very good at, you know, kicking the can down the road, especially, you know, Haredim in the army. I think that's one of the classic examples, how they're always able to avoid it. Do you think this is avoidable? Like, is the judicial reform issue, which again has now been postponed, is it possible to, you know, to, to simply ignore it going forward or it's have to, it's have to go, it's going to have to be addressed at some point by the Knesset? Well, I think the last uh, words you said are really um, the answer that at some point it has to be addressed. I don't think people are pressing right now. So far, there is no resolution. I think the people want to see a compromise. The people of Israel want to see a compromise. And many of the political leaders, including those who were the strongest proponents of this, have modified their stands and are looking for some resolution. I think that they, are, that they will pick one or two aspects that they will focus on uh, so that there will be a reform because everybody wants a reform and by and large it's, it's across the board. Uh, but this is a political issue that they, that those who oppose the election outcome have latched onto. There have not been good faith negotiations from what I understand. Uh, people really, you know, cracking down and the president has made numerous efforts. Others have made efforts to intervene, to, to try and reach a resolution. I think it isn't that difficult on specific issues. Uh, but uh, it'll probably be a much more modified package and it will be um, on consensus where they can build a consensus, pretty broad consensus. Uh, you know, I don't know that you'll get a 61 vote majority will not, as far as I can see, would never be part of it. If either a larger number or that would be one of the things you put aside and you start moving on the reforms about appointments, et cetera. Right. So, yes, I do believe that uh, we can come to some sort of uh, um, resolution that people can live with for now, but the political activism I don't think will be will be stopped now. People are feeling their oats. They feel that they have been mobilized. A lot of young people now have been introduced into political activism, which may be good, but uh, I, I don't think, and, and we may see it on a lot of other issues now. And I don't, I don't want to get mired in the calendar aspect of this, but I just just one more point. So, just so I understand it, because it seemed when they postponed it, 
it was postponed to a point where it, it's going to ha- there's no choice but but for it to be addressed is it possible that i don't know that if things continue to be delayed and and uh and and they hem and haw in terms of trying to you know schedule some type of compromise meeting that this really could go on for another 6 months or a year is that possible Sure. Oh, okay. And they can put up this new. I don't know why I looked at this as if there's like a yeah, deadline. Because they said that they said that they have to do it in the summer session. Right. Um, and I think that there are periods when you can introduce uh, such legislative initiatives. But if if the feeling is that this is going to diminish Israel's ability, and yet all these guys in the military coming out and saying that it weakens us, and that the, I mean, I've heard from leaders in the region saying to trying to understand what's going on and saying they're concerned about stability of Israel. Israel stability is fine, but the this um, these divisive this divisiveness um, obviously takes a toll, and. I, you know, I think there's been foreign interference. I think there's a lot of things that we'll clarify later on. But for now, I think the important thing is to get people to refocus on, on the common agendas and the security of Israel facing real challenges with Iran building up the circle around Israel, the axis of resistance, as they call it, going with the Houthis in Iraq and in Syria in Lebanon the weakness in Jordan that they face, and certainly from Gaza, um, you need a, you need to have the government clear-headed to focus on it and to address the increasing challenges. Oh, understood. Um, what are your thoughts when there's a public event in Iran and people start chanting death to Palestine and the pro-Israel sentiments? So it's really remarkable uh, and I'm glad that you noticed it because very few people did and nobody even talks about it. And certainly the media doesn't report it, but all over Iran, there were events, sporting events, other occasions where people who used to say, we will not die for Hezbollah, we will not die for Hamas, we'll die for Iran. This year, the, the, the mantra that was heard and, and from young people was that to the Palestinians, long live Israel. There were even challenges in Khomeini's presence uh, with some of these things. But to, at the um, the Ramadan futsal match, they they said, "Long live Israel!" Down with the Palestinians, and the the associations are obviously uh, very clear. But it wasn't just one or or two things. Um, in Mashhad, a religious city, we've seen uh, uh, such manifestations. Um, even again, the women's demonstrations, there's the Saturday, the Saturday campaign where women, uh, take off the hijab and, uh, you know, even though they know the potential price that they could pay and the, uh, some of the signs that they have put up, it, it's really quite remarkable. And yet no coverage, no discussion, uh, the visit of Pahlavi, uh, Reza Pahlavi, the son of the late Shah to Israel, got a lot of coverage internally in, in Iran, and people started chanting for him at the, some of these um, these events. So it's really uh, amazing when they started to see the videos of them yelling, bless your soul, toward, towards um, Reza Pahlavi. And I think... Um, that wasn't you a mistake. It tells us the possibilities, which that, we've talked about many times. That wasn't a mistake for Israel to host him, was it? He wanted to go. Why would the, why they shouldn't turn him down? I think like others who want to visit. Right. And and what does it say? It it, it um, you know the Iranians aren't going to change their attitude towards Israel if they said no to him. And the 
the uh, it's his initiative. It was a private visit. He had got some governmental meetings. Uh, he went to the hotel. He did other things. Uh, I think it was a meaningful visit. He pulled a DeSantis. So um, I don't have it in front of me. An Iranian cleric, I believe a member of government, was actually killed this week, right? Am I right about that? I think I saw that. A high-ranking Ayatollah, very close to uh, Khamenei, was sitting in a bank, and the bank guard walked up behind him, calmly shot him, killed him, uh, and walked out. Now, is that part of this whole atmosphere because of the... You know, what we just described, what you just described. I don't know. I don't know what the the agenda was, but it's uh, whether this was a targeted assassination or just one of the expressions. But when you see how calmly the guy does it, it's because it, this video of it has been circulated. It's it's astonishing. Yeah. I just wonder if not for this whole you know, atmosphere that's now in Iran with obviously, you know, anti-government forces probably feeling as confident as they have in God knows how long, right? If the, if people are chanting death to Palestine and, and uh, you know, complimenting Israel, I'm just wondering if that whole atmosphere is, you know, lending itself to a whole anti-government um, uh, level that we haven't seen in Iran recently. Well, you know, the economic conditions are terrible despite the fact that they're making more money today from oil exports than they ever did. And because the price of oil going up and as Russia and Saudi Arabia are both cutting production, probably by a million barrels each, that uh, the price will continue to be high and they will continue to make money. But Iran has been exporting more and more oil from Russia and they make money on that. They sell to their oil to China. They, the, uh, Government, our government as well, is not imposing the restrictions and the sanctions on the sales, even though more people are coming under U.S. sanctions who have been involved in uh, some of the activities in, the, um, in, in both in Iran and in the region. But generally, Iran is, is um, benefiting, and they, they, their financial numbers that they start putting out, nobody knows what's true and not true. But the internal dissension is there. They get no support from the West. Nobody talks about them. The Iranians talk about their fear of the Azeri-Turkey-Israel alliance, which encircles them to counter the encirclement of, uh, of Israel. Uh, and they've been uh, rattling their sabers at Azerbaijan for a while. Uh, and, you know, at times even built up their troops along the border, but Azerbaijan has been very tough in their, in their responses and has the magic card of 30 million Azeris living in Iran that uh, sort of is a check on, on what Iran does. But the, um, uh, you know, the, the situation itself of Iran, it's collective situation. They think that things are moving in their favor. They've been selling huge amounts of ammunition to uh, Russia for Ukraine delivering, and uh, and the sanctions seem to be very mild in their impact on them. Mm. It's America's one and only Jewish moments in the morning radio program heard on listeners-sponsored digital radio. Around the world, the web at NachumSingle.com on the NachumSingle Network, and of course on the beloved NSN app. Malcolm Honeline, Vice Chairman, Conference of Presidents, major American Jewish organizations. Because I, I was thinking, taking it even a step further, um, with my theory here. Uh, I mean, the United Nations Security Council actually condemned the Taliban for their treatment of women this week, right? I mean, that's... Uh, and, I, and I assume that's a rarity. Like, that that, that really yeah. that really is news, right? Or not? 
it's news, but it's so blatant what they've done, barring from education, essentially from jobs. From I mean, it is so open. Uh, but I'm very just, hard to conceive that they wouldn't. But I'm just wondering if people are taking to the streets, especially in Iran, but probably other places as well. I would assume if people are really, you know, demonstrating, you know, anti-government. Um, uh, um, uh, feelings, especially when you know the government is being unreasonable. Uh, I, I'm thinking maybe the United Nations Security Council finally felt brave enough to you know to do this. Uh, if, if conditions were different, they would have just you know followed what they normally do and stay silent on the issue. Yeah, but this is a women's issue; it's not a political issue, and uh, Taliban is an easier target. Mm. Um, you know, the, you don't see measures of solidarity when the, the energy sector went on strike for three days. Uh, and there's not even a mention to the nationwide petrochemical companies and others. People are doing amazingly courageous things in Iran, but that doesn't get uh, the coverage and the women right. who still demonstrate and the people who are sitting in jail, the thousands who are in jail. So going after this thing on the Taliban, which I think is important, but it's, it's um, low hanging, you know, low hanging fruit. Exactly. Understood. What did you? I mentioned it earlier in passing. What do you think of the DeSantis visit to Israel? Uh, he was invited to come and speak at um, the, the dedication of new facilities, and um, you know I think it's good. And every time anybody goes and tells a positive story and uh, has the opportunity to be exposed to the reality of Israel, it only is to the good. Yeah, and the reality is that he's extremely popular in this country <laughs> among a pretty important block of voters. So. Uh, it can only be good if he's saying positive things about Israel, certainly. Why does Germany want the Arrow missile defense system? Because they need it. For? For defense, for uh, the threat that, that exists of the missiles from Ukraine, from other places. That, um, uh, you know, they, they have not done that much in terms of their own defense systems. And the Arrow is uh, perfect for the geographic distribution that they have. to. You know, each of the missile systems is targeted to a missile launch from a certain distance because the arc of the missile determines what kind of counter missile you, you shoot. Um, so for for Germany, they determined quite a while ago and have been trying to get the arrow missile system for a long time. What does it say about Israeli uh, technological defense systems that it's in demand by it, European countries? Uh, well, if you Israeli arms have been... Uh, much more in evidence in various European countries for quite a while, and that includes tanks and other technologies that Israel has developed. You know, they bought these subs and tanks from uh, different countries, and they enhance it in what they buy from the United States. They put in their own avionics and in the planes and some of the jets that, that then the United States adapts as well. So it's, um, there's a long history, and it's, it's really, again, another reflection of the amazing achievements. What were the Israeli tanks like 75 years ago during the War of Independence? They were makeshift. They were, uh, first of all, they didn't have many tanks. <laughs> and they, and what they had were probably cars, you know, that were armored. And um, they got the, they did get a few tanks, I think, even from uh, Czechoslovakia or wherever. But, you know, they were dropping seltzer bottles, uh, as you know, from airplanes to yeah. explode, and they had very limited resources. Uh. The amazing thing that they fought against the, the, the Jordanian Legion, which had been armed by Britain, trained by Britain, had all this, uh, had really up-to-date equipment, and the Israelis were fighting with bee shooters compared to it. And that's one front that you just described. One of many, and we have today many fronts, and you see the sophistication of what 
uh, Hezbollah has. They're more and more updated, the guidance systems. Iran is shipping in equipment all the time, and they're taking advantage of the aid shipments, the convoys that go in to bring aid to the earthquake area in Syria to send in uh, sophisticated equipment. And Israel has the challenge of taking out one truck out of 19 to prevent uh, these weapons from reaching both the militias that are the Iranian militias that are in in, uh, Syria, the Hezbollah uh, groups, the Wagner group is very active there. We see uh, growing challenges and and a missile fired even there. Uh, And as of course in in Lebanon where Hezbollah sits with 150,000 missiles and uh, huge infrastructure, Gaza as well. And uh, they have, they just fired some missiles into the sea which they were testing. They're getting more range on, on their missiles. So Israel, uh, you know, faces this, this challenge. And you have the Houthis who can reach from Yemen into Israel. Uh, another part of the overall plan that, that Iran has. But thank God, I think Israel is aware of it and doing what it can. It has uh, submarines in the um, Persian Gulf. It has uh, capacities which are known and unknown. When you're living through the miracle, it's very hard to see it very often. That's true. And it's unbelievable. That those who recognized it and uh, continue to tell their children and grandchildren that message, call a vote to them, because it is hard to see the forest from the trees when you're going through a miraculous time. When makeshift tanks, as you described, are taking on well-trained armies on multiple fronts. Uh, the whole thing is amazing. And I really hope that everybody communicated to their own children, to their students, to those that they spent time with this week uh, on the theme of Israel independence. I really hope that that message was communicated and communicated well. Will Israel's foreign minister meet with officials from Saudi Arabia? I mean, he would like to. I always thought that once Saudi Arabia made this uh, you know, gesture toward Iran, that they should be marginalized and there would be no reason for Israel to, or the United States, uh, to recognize them at this point as a potential partner, but I guess, as you just said, nothing wrong with talking. Is that it? Well, it's not nothing wrong. It's it's still important, and we don't know the degree to which this deal is um, yeah, a long term. Why don't we know? Shift because the the basic divisions, the Sunni Shiite conflict, the the conflict of interest, because Iran still has its designs on the holy city, to Mecca Medina. They, they, the, the existence of the uh, of the Saudi regime is a challenge to them. They want to control Katif, the oil-rich area, which is populated largely by Shia populations. And I met this week with some leaders from the region, and their assessment was much more sober about what's happened. And they don't rule out that Saudi Arabia might continue. Part of it has to do with a message to the United States. The feeling the United States has right. removed itself from the region, China. You know, as we've said many times, you know, politics abhors a vacuum as well. China has stepped into it. Russia has stepped into it. But China is the largest purchaser of oil from both Saudi Arabia and Iran. So they brokered a deal which had already been cooked up long before in the negotiations in Iraq and in Oman. So you, you have to look at what, what is uh, the agenda. Saudi Arabia has one primary thing. They want to get the war in, in Yemen under control, and the Houthis are, key, you know, are the key party, and they are supplied by Iran. Iran said they're not going to stop supplying uh, Houthis just this week. So the underlying causes, and, and uh, uh, Saudi Arabia hosts the Iran national television broadcasters, which the government wanted, the Iranian government wanted to stop because they were 
supporting the demonstrations and they blame it like an Al Jazeera-like influence in the region negative to Iran. And Iran has been benefiting and feeling strength because of the deals with Russia, because of the increased income. There's still a disastrous condition. The economy is in ruins. The people are are more and more against the government. Uh, so you can't just judge it on the surface. Right. There are multiple messages that are sent in this case. And ultimately, we don't know also the internal divisions in Saudi Arabia between the crown prince and the king, between various factions who seem to be reemerging, including some with ties to Muslim Brotherhood. It's hard to tell what, what the game is. And others who believe that because of what they did with Iran, they may have more leeway to do stuff with Israel. But frankly, if it's going to happen, it's got to be done quietly. Right. The Saudis don't like, you know, these things done publicly. Look, I mean, and, uh, frankly, we see that often with the United States and Israel. And you've described that a million times where you know, they may make public statements about certain things. But in the end, when it comes to co- cooperation behind the scenes, it couldn't be uh, it couldn't be they couldn't be more cooperative. So right. maybe, maybe I, I mean, I never considered that, that uh, Saudi Arabia has to have a certain profile out there, their public profile, so to speak, but in, and we, which, you know, safeguards them in certain ways when it comes to certain issues. But the reality is that they're, uh, you know, more than willing to deal with Israel uh, if it's to their advantage uh, or, or if it's, you know, important to what they consider the safety of the region in the near future. Um is it possible that a Sudanese hacker is responsible for electric outlet, electric um, uh, blackouts in Israel? Yes, and it's very disturbing because, um, you know, this is a, a potentially in a time of uh, war or anything, a real threat. But it's a threat not just from, from there. It, it, the threats from Iranians are doing it every day, every day. Uh, and sometimes many attacks in a single day. Israel does the same, uh, and but Israel has built up a tremendous cyber security capacity. It's obviously not foolproof, and we saw it uh, this week with the electrical outlet uh, blackouts. Uh, so yes, this is the new world, and and the, it's a very vulnerable system. Uh, and when everybody is dependent on, on uh, the computers and on the, right. the networks, the Internet, it's, uh, so, yeah, it's, a, it's a new front. So it's miraculous that we have electricity at all, frankly. <laughs> right. And it's not just there. You don't think there are multiple attacks against the United States every day, every day. Sometimes there are thousands of these attacks in a, in a single day around the world. And every country in the world is affected by it. Now, Israel has enemies that, you know, there are groups in, in the Ukraine, Russia, um, other Iran. And so when you have state sponsors sometimes involved in this, and certainly the Palestinian Authority, uh, others who have been working on these things for a long time and who sponsor the creation of all the anti-Semitic and, and really hate-filled uh, sites and produce them on an ongoing basis at a rapid rate, it's impossible to, to counter it all. Uh, anything to do with what's uh, happening in the Sudan in general now or a completely independent thing that it just happens to be this hacker is there? No, it's, it's, uh, I think it's uh, relatively independent. Uh, it's an internal division between two generals uh, and uh, has significance. And Sudan is, I think, the third largest country in Africa. Uh, and uh, what happens there could have broader implications. As you know, they did initiate the process it's not fulfilled with uh, israel and being part of the abraham accord and uh, you know uh, a shift in in uh, the regime there to something more hostile 
has broad implications, especially for Egypt, which has a big border with them. It's, uh, you know, nobody knows where the Sudan is. And if you talk about it, you know, they have some image from, uh, of Khartoum uh, from a movie, but <laughs> it is uh, strategically important. Um, and so if, so if um, hackers are, are ineffective or unsuccessful, it's because of good cybersecurity like what you described that Israel has. That's essentially they, what it is. And, uh, they have a cyber center in, in Besheva. They have others. They have companies. Obviously, they're, they're amongst the leaders in the world in, in cybersecurity. And, of course, it stays at home as well. But, yes, it's because they are able to, to prevent it, as is the United States. Is, uh, you know, our agencies are working all the time right. in trying to counter it. Hard to stay ahead of the bad guys, you know. Not it's easy. What? It's hard to stay ahead of the bad guys, you know. It's hard to... And to identify them. That's, and oh, and right. when you're working in the dark web, it's very hard to know who's doing what. And, and yet we know that there are state sponsors, and we have to go to those who will make it possible to finance and engage in this kind of incitement and really hold them to account. Are you surprised that we are hearing so little, relatively, about what's going on between Russia and the Ukraine? And was there, in fact, an assassination attempt this week on Vladimir Putin? So I don't know about the uh, I know about the reports on it, but it's very hard to know what uh, the truth is in in Russia. It's a closed society, and certainly media is controlled. So we don't know. We know that there is um, uh, some dissonance in Russia. They can't speak publicly. There have been people arrested. There are people who are, um, you know, they've been there have been clamped down uh, internally. We don't hear more because people don't have a sustaining. But even here in the, America, but, but around even the, the world, even the media doesn't. Like the, I'm the, saying to you, because it's because you know the story ran. This is, we're doing now the summer reruns of the war in, <laughs> in the Ukraine, and you know people to tune out, and they they you see that there's a growing resistance about America's involvement there. Uh, some of the European countries you see are diminishing their their focus on it because you know in initially to stop the aggression et cetera people stamp up once it starts costing as much as it is you know we 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 have drained the uh, storage the um, uh, preplacement of a billion dollars in equipment in Israel for instance in the Negev which is available to Israel in a time of war uh, and they can draw it down they pay for it. But otherwise, it's prepositioned in in Israel for American troops, uh, as we have it in Korea, yeah. and we draw down most of that stuff. So now Israel feels also challenged by this, right. uh, as does the uh, South Korea, and and we don't have the capacity, it seems, to replenish uh, those stocks, and we're draining uh, equipment. There's only a few factories that make the gunpowder and stuff that that weapons need and. One of them had a big fire here in the United States. So I think it, it cut out a lot of supplies. And our capacity, our manufacturing capacity is limited. So our troops, American troops, are, are being stripped of equipment, our allies and the as well. And people, you know, you see growing uh, questioning as uh, of how long can we sustain this pouring billions and billions of dollars into it. Right. Oh, by the way, I want to, I want to mention that um, uh, the person who was arrested in the uh, anti-Semitic uh, attack on a member of the Borgen family here in New York. So you may recall there was supposed to be a, a plea deal for six months, etc. Ended up getting 18 months 
in prison. That was the sentence. And every article that I read about it credited the Jewish community for not accepting what was going on uh, in the DA's office and uh, making sure uh, to have their voices heard that the uh, that the punishment has to be a stronger one. So if that's true, that speaking up you know, helped in this case, then it's a lesson we all need to learn. Absolutely. And this is uh, and with all the number uh, with the increasing number of attacks and the system that we have, uh, the Nobel, the, the, the revolving door justice system, if people will speak up and stand up, you see that judges as well as the D.A. and others respond to it. He was supposed to get six months, right. which means less by the time he gets out. Right. And and now got a, a year and a half, which is still much too, too uh, lenient, soft a sentence. Right. Uh, but but much better, and it and it should inspire people that if we don't speak up against these guys, they're all recidivists, or, or many of them are recidivists, and and those who have been arrested, you know, have been guilty of uh, previous attacks, and especially because they can attack three hours after they get arrested because they get out right away. Right. Yeah. Well, I was glad to see the Jewish community was credited with keeping the pressure on in that case, Mr. Holmline. I thank you very much. Have a wonderful Shabbos. We'll speak again next week. God willing, and everybody have a good Shabbos and continue to celebrate Israel and and the privilege that this generation has, regardless of your political views or whatever, that uh, it's a nice and that we have to show Kaddish Baruch that we appreciate. 100%. It's been a great week for that. Let's keep it going. Malcolm Holmline is vice chairman of the Conference of Presidents of Major American Jewish Organizations with us Fridays, 7.40 a.m. Eastern Time for the weekly update here at JM in the AM. Friday morning, Erev Shabbos, 28th of April, 7th day of ER. Today is day number 22 in the counting of the Omer. If you forgot to count last night, make sure to do so sometime today. Candle lighting at 728 in New York. 728, make sure you know when things start where you are. It's a double Parsha this week, Achremos and Kedoshim. And again, make sure you know when things start where you are. This time each every Friday, every Erev Shabbos, with great pleasure we present Rabbi Benjamin Yudin, spiritual leader emeritus, Congregation Shomri Torah in Fairlawn, New Jersey, to address the entire listening audience concerning the Torah portion of the week. Good morning, Rabbi Yudin. Good morning, Nachum. Good Erev Shabbos, everybody. Tomorrow we have the privilege of reading the parshios of Achrimos and Kedoshim. Wow. Together, they have 70 nine mitzvos according to the Chinuch. Achrimos has two positive and 26 restrictions and Kedoshim has 13 positive and 38 restrictions. Parshas Achrimos begins with the Avodas Yom HaKippurim, the special service that was led by the Kohen Gadol Achas Pashana on Yom Kippur, and I can tell you that I was most inspired by the teaching of the Klei Yakar on the second Pasuk in Parshas Achrimos, whereby the Torah teaches that the Kohen Gadol al Yovo b'chol Ace el al-Kodesh, meaning <clears throat> he's not to come at all times into the sanctuary. The Klayokar notes that it's not only that the Kohen Gadol can't come on a regular basis, but in reality, he's to enter the Kodesh HaKadoshim only once a year on Yom Kippur. Why might that be? And he suggests the following insightful answer. 
the effectiveness of the Kohen Gadol atoning for the sins of the Jewish people is in actuality dependent on the worthiness of the people. And all year long, the nation, unfortunately, is engaged in various sins, negativity, which creates a separation between themselves and HaKadosh Baruch Hu. This state of sin of the people creates a barrier between themselves and Hashem. And since the effectiveness of the Kohen Gadol is dependent on the people, all year long he cannot truly represent them. However, one, one day a year on Yom Kippur, when the entirety of the nation are compared to angels abstaining from food and all this worldly pleasures, then and only then can he represent the Jewish nation before Hashem as they the people empower and create a positive and holy energy to enable the Kohen Gadol to effectively atone for the nation of Israel. Wow! We contribute to his sanctity. Similarly, the Ramban, in his commentary on the fourth of the Ten Commandments, in Shmos, Perachof, Pasuk 8, teaches the following, that the Torah mandates that Zohor es Yom HaShabbos, the Kadsho, remember the Shabbos day to sanctify it. We take a cup of wine, we recite the blessing of Kiddush every Friday night. Now in reality, one can ask, what are we doing? And what are we accomplishing if we have already stated in the previous paragraph of Vayachulu, right, at the beginning of Bereshis, in the beginning of Perek Beis, Posegimel, that Vayivorech Elokim is Yom Ashvi, Hashem blessed the seventh day, and Vayakadesh also, Hashem already sanctified it. So if it's already sanctified, and what are we then, therefore, accomplishing with our sanctification many years later. And the Ramban answers the following, that when the Torah in the fourth commandment teaches that we are to sanctify it, right, it's the same as what the Torah will teach us in two weeks in Parshas Bahar, Vikidashtem, Eis Shnas Hachamishim Shana, that you are to sanctify the 50th Yuvil year, understood by our rabbis to mean that the Sanhedrin is to make the declaration, meaning that the 50th year is hallowed, Kodesh, so too the Jew is called upon to add his sanctification of the Shabbos day. <clears throat> and as Hashem sanctified the Shabbos day, the Jew is commanded weekly to add their sanctification, their holiness as well. And similarly, regarding the law of the Bechor Behemoth Tahorah, namely the first 
born male that is born in your cattle and in your flock, says the Torah, in Parshas Re'eh, Takdish, you shall sanctify to Hashem. Now, the Gemara in the Yerushalmi, Rosh Hashanah, in the first parak, teaches that the firstborn behemoth is holy automatically with its birth. It's Kadosh Merechem. As soon as it emerges from its mother, it's already Kadosh. Yet the Gemara in Erechin, Chavtes Amar Aleph, 29a, teaches that even though it's endowed with holiness from birth, there's still a mitzvah on the part of the farmer, the owner of the animal, to articulate and announce that this animal has the sanctity of a firstborn. Once again, we see that man is invited to participate and add sanctity to that which is already in a state of Kedusha. And it's most interesting. We find regarding the mitzvah of Mila, circumcision. It's the Jewish mommy of a baby boy. She endows her son with his Jewish identity. He's Jewish based upon mommy. However, at the occasion of the bris, the moral announces bris kodesh. He's about to add and do an act of adding sanctification, additional holiness th- through the mitzvah of Mila. Now that the child has been circumcised, there has been an elevated status of holiness where now he can what? Enter the mikdash. Now he can eat kachim, he can eat of the holy part of sacrifices. Man contributes to and adds Kedusha. I'd like to extend this concept of man's endowing and contributing Kedusha to an already given state of sanctification with regards to Eretz Yisrael. From the beginning of our Torah, literally, commenting on the first phrase of the Torah, Bereshis Lukim, Rashi, in his opening commentary on the Torah, teaches that indeed the account of creation as found in the first chapter of Bereshis is in actuality the Jewish nation's deed to the land of Israel. Hashem, who created the world, chose the land of Israel for his nation from the very beginning of time. At the conclusion of Devarim in Hazinu, the Torah teaches that Hashem gave each of the nations their land, Panchilo Goyim Elyon, right? Hashem gave each nation their land, their inheritance, and his portion, Yaakov, his land he gave to his people, the descendants of Yaakov. There are many verses in the Torah which describe Hashem's bestowing the land of Israel to the Jewish nation, even before there were any descendants of Avram, as found immediately after the bris ben Absorin, that Nasati says Hashem, I've given the land to the descendants of Abraham. 
However, I'd like to demonstrate that here too, regarding Kedushas, Eretz Yisrael, we find that when Yoshua brought the nation of Israel into the land of Israel, most of the agricultural laws that are found only in the land of Israel, Trumos, Maisros, Shemitah, were not yet applicable till after the first 14 years after their entry, with the exception of the mitzvah of Chalo. Only after Sheba Shekivshu, the seven years of conquering the land, and Sheba Shalchilku, and the seven years of dividing the land were the agricultural mitzvahs then binding upon the people. What do we see? Once again, that while Hashem sanctified the land of Israel, man contributed by his participation in settling the land, in endowing the land with further Kedusha. The land of Israel for almost 2,000 years has represented the eternal bond between the Jewish people and the land of Israel. On the one hand, we have been privileged to see the fulfillment of the prophecy that Hashem promised the Jewish people amidst the Tochacha in the book of Ayikra, amidst the admonitions and punishments. What do we find? Hashem said, I will make the land desolate in Vayikra 27:32, And your enemies who will dwell upon it, says the Torah, will be desolate. Hashem kept his word, and throughout the long exile that the Jewish people were completely separated from the land of Israel, the land was kept in the state of Shmama, desolation. The enemy, enemies of the Jew could not make a go of it as long as why? As the land of Israel would not produce on their behalf. On the other hand, commensurate with the return of the Jewish nation to its land, we have seen the fulfillment of the Nevoah of Yecheskel Hanavi in Chapter 36, Pasuk 8, where he says, V'atem Yisrael, you the mountains of Israel, Apichem titenu, your trees will bear branches, Upiriachem tis'u, and it will be laden with fruits, V'ami Yisrael, for my people Israel, Kisavo, as they return. We have seen the sense of loyalty on the part of the land, that she, the land of Israel, has never betrayed her people. She has never given herself to strangers and conquerors. Neither Rome, Byzantine, the Muslims, Crusaders, Turks, British, they've all failed in colonizing the land. Yet, Israel, wow, continues to blossom and shine agriculturally, industrially, scientifically, with advanced technology. And most of all, we've witnessed the fulfillment of Kimitzion, Tetzé Torah, as we find in the beginning of the Navi Yeshaya, in the beginning of chapter 2. The incredible amount of Torah study and proliferation of Torah Sforin has been a crowning achievement of Eretz Yisrael. The Ramban, in his commentary at the end of Achrimos, cites the Safri on the Pasuk in Devarim. 
regarding the juxtaposition between Hashem's warning the Jewish people that if they fail to adhere to the Torah mitzvot, they will be expelled from the goodly land. And immediately thereafter, the Torah teaches, Put filling on your arm, for you will tiltafose and they shall be an ornament between your eyes. Teach Torah to your children, and the juxtaposition of being expelled from the land and the performance of mitzvot is to teach that while the Jewish people are ex- exiled from their land, they shall still fulfill mitzvot so that when they return, come on, mitzvot will not be a new phenomena as they have been observed and practiced all the years. The Ramban further states unequivocally that the primary location for the performance of all mitzvot is the land of Israel. It should be very clear to us that Golos being outside the land of Israel is not the norm. This is abnormal for the Jewish people. And while it's been for us too long that we are to realize that the observance of mitzvot in the land of Israel is in reality a double observance. It is the observance of Shabbos, Kashras, Taras, Amishpacha, and all the other mitzvot. But in addition, we are creating and adding Kedusha, additional sanctity to the land, which is, Emir Tzashem, going to hasten the arrival of the third Beis Hamikdash. And finally, the Gemara in Subos, Ayin Hei Amar Aleph, quotes the Pasuk from Tehillim 87.5, Litzion Yeomer Ish Ish Asheyu Labo. Rashi explains the Pasuk to mean that in the future, the nations of the world will bring back to Tzion Jews from all over the world. And regarding each one, they will say, this one is the son of Tzion. He was born there. Let us bring him back to her. This one, this one, the Gemara goes on to explain both those who are actually born in Sion and those who are mitzapeh, yearn to see her. Not only those who are actually born, but those who yearn for the return to Sion will be counted as her children. Our personal goal and aspiration should be to live and personally add to the holiness of Israel. However, if that is not applicable at this time, one's support of Torah, one's enhancement of the quality of life in Eretz Israel, that too is adding Kedusha to the land of Israel. May we Zoha to continue to be regarded sons of Eretz Israel. Shabbat Shalom to all.
in the AM with the uh, Friedman family and Curry Bone. in the AM. A reminder that the Young Israel of Kew Gardens Hills is a very special Shabbos this Shabbos. Guest scholars are by Dr. Ari Lem as they celebrate 75 years. They celebrate Yom Ha'atzma'ut. Again, it'll be with guest scholar by Dr. Ari Lem at the Young Israel of Kew Gardens Hills. He'll speak tomorrow morning. He'll speak in the Shir prior to Mincha and during Shalashudis as well. Information, uh, 718-261-9723. Again, that's 718-261-9723 for information about the Young Israel of Kew Gardens Hills for this upcoming Shabbos. Friday morning, Erev Shabbos with candle lighting at 728 on this Erev Shabbos in New York. Make sure you know when things start where you are. Uh, day 22 in the counting of the Omer, day number 22, if you forgot to count last night. Make sure to do so sometime today. Amazing weekend programming, as you would expect. And, of course, all day long, Sphere format appropriate selections for an Erev Shabbos right here at the Nahum Siegel Network. Plenty more coming up, including this from Leif Tahar. Keep it here at JM in the AM.
Nefesh here at JM in the AM. Time to say good Shabbos. Candle lighting at 728 in New York. Make sure you know when things start where you are. Journeys at JM in the AM. So throw away your 
Brothers and sisters in Israel, we are with you. It's your favorite America's one and only Jewish moments in the morning radio program. Heard on listeners-sponsored digital radio. Round the world web at NachumSegal.com on the NachumSegal Network and, of course, on the beloved NSN app. Wraps up an amazing day and an amazing week here at JM in the AM, and I thank all of you for tuning in. Plenty coming up. Sphere of Format Friday, uh, brought to you by the wonderful people at Kedem. It's happening all day long. Tomorrow night, Saturday night, Siegel with Avrami and Rebelli Ezra Zwickler. Sunday, it's Matis with JM Sunday. We're back here on Monday. And I thank you all for tuning in and being part of this great radio experience. Have a fabulous Shabbos, a wonderful weekend. Until next week, Nahum Siegel reminding you, remember the past, live the present, and trust the future.